1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah Heath, and I am excited that I get the task today of sharing with you, really task, I'm going to call it an honor, of sharing with you our guest, and that's Matthias Roberts. Matthias is an incredible therapist, an incredible writer, and also a great speaker, but also a friend. And I'm really lucky that I got to have this conversation with him and Justin and share it with you today. Matthias has written two books, um, Beyond Shame, which is Oh, it's such an incredible book. Uh, and now the newest one is called Holy Runaways. So we talk mostly about Holy Runaways, but I've got to tell you, check both out. They're super helpful. Um, and so the conversation is mostly about what it's like to shift in our beliefs and how do we kind of find grounding once we make that shift. So I'm so grateful to Matthias, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. So here it is with no further ado, Matthias Roberts. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery. I'm Sarah Heath, and this is my co-host. I'm Justin Gentry. And we are so excited to introduce today uh, a, a great friend, just an incredible person, Matthias, who is an author who has most recently written a book that I have right here called Holy Runaways by Matthias Roberts. And Matthias is a therapist, and I will for sure have already introduced you, but I just am so proud of you. And so thank you so much for being willing to come on our show, a podcast for folks who are going through transition. Maybe it's through faith or maybe it's um, a transition in how they do ministry or if they've ever done ministry before. So welcome. So the question we always ask, and we we know it sounds like we're asking you about a prison term, but have you ever served in ministry? And if you have, how long were you in for? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, it's such a treat to be here. Uh, yeah, I have served in ministry, although I, I don't know that I would say it was necessarily like in a formal sense. Like I'm, I'm an MK, grew up, my parents worked at a Christian camp. I, it was like by proxy in a lot of ways. Um, so in some ways I would say my whole life. <laughs> 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 and I don't know that I'm actually technically out yet. So that's... <laughs> So, so 29 years. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. We'll say 29. That's great. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> Matthias, did you ever we're all 29 work with, here? We're yeah, all it. 29. <laughs> did you ever work within an actual church structure? Cause I know your career has mostly been in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever work at a church for pay or ever were a volunteer? No. Uh, I did do some volunteering on and off, yeah, um, but no, I've never like formally worked at a church. Um, this is called leading the witness because I know the answer to these things. <laughs> what I, I, I just would love pause, to like what what's that like? Yes, <laughs> you seem so healthy. <laughs> wow, thanks. Like, who is this healthy, well-adjusted person in front of us? Like, I, I don't know you about were able that. To just volunteer <laughs> and then and then just leave. Like, wow, like I, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's lovely. It's lovely to just be able to walk out of a church and say, you know, I'm not going back there. <laughs> I, yes. Exactly. So you recently wrote this book. Um, well, you were, you've written two books that, that I know of. Are there more than two? No, I, not that I'm aware of anyway. Yeah. <laughs> your first book was about like sexuality and feeling okay and letting go of shame. And your second book is really being okay with letting go of kind of the ideas and what kind of held you in the potentially the container of your faith. And so Holy Runaways is about that. Can you share a little bit more about Holy Runaways, if you don't mind? Your yeah. second child? Yeah. The, the book roots really birthed out of my own questions around like, what do I do with my faith? So, so I, you know, grew up super religious kind of evangelical fundamentalism, uh, I I discovered I was queer, like, it was an ongoing process, but 
uh, you know, from like age 11 kind of on. And, and I spent so much of my life trying to figure out, is it okay to just, just be like gang Christian? <laughs> is it okay to be queer? Um, not even the Christian part. Is it, is this okay? And as I kind of came out of that question, as I like started realizing like, yeah, I think this is okay. This question doesn't feel as pressing for me anymore. Then all the questions came of like, what am I even doing in faith. <laughs> and and I had had a lot of experiences of religious trauma. And, and this book really was my kind of wrestling with, what do we do with this when we've been profoundly hurt by, by something, um, but by the institutions? Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. the piece that for some of our listeners is even though you weren't necessarily being paid you grew up where your family was tied vocationally to yes. the church. So you're not just letting go of um, ideas or practices. You're also letting go to your, of your, you're questioning like what my parents gave all of their time and changed our lives for. Cause being a missionary kid, um, if you didn't hear the MK part is really this, it forms your whole life, right? It formed yeah. so much of you. And so you wrote this for folks like our our people are dealing with like, how do I deal with the trauma not only that I've received, but that I've participated in? Did you feel that as a missionary kid that there was a little bit of participation in it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's something I'm still detangling, like like the, the things that, you know, I, I have so many memories of things I used to say to people, <laughs> uh, <laughs> systems that I used mm-hmm. to uphold that now I'm like, I want nothing to do with that. And I know I harmed, like there's a list of people in my head that, um, I, yeah. And, and uh, so wrestling with that, it, I mean, that's such a, it's such a complex question when we have been perpetrated against, but have also perpetrated, um, how do we, how do we heal from that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you even said, I still feel like I'm in ministry. Is that what you're referring to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, and, and it's something that I'm, you know, slowly trying to take steps <laughs> to get away from. Um, but also like, I think as y'all know, like public facing work has components that um, are at least similar <laughs> to ministry. Yeah. work. It may not be yeah. the same, but there are definite, definite similarities. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's why so many of us well, like end up idea. in a kind of public work too, because like it's a very similar rhythm. It's a similar kind of mm-hmm. pressure. If we're, I think if you've been in ministry long enough, you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie, like even, you know, in, in some ways, <laughs> like probably not in a healthy way, but it's, it's, there is that kind mm-hmm. of like that rhythm that you get into and you just kind of easily transition right into it. Um, and I'm wondering if, you know, like as you're, as you're growing up in this, it's just, it's a natural like way to just like, yeah, public work just makes sense to me. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, yes. we, we find ourselves in that same role of like, okay, we've left, but we feel the need to have a quote ministry, um, <laughs> in helping people leave and in helping people <laughs> like get out. And so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting way we all end up transitioning out and then into these different spaces. Yeah, it is interesting because because yeah, that that familiarity is both perf- like deeply appealing, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I think it can push on those wounds or perpetuate those same kind of sense mm-hmm. of wounding. Or we don't necessarily find healing from that. Like that's something I've been working on a lot with my therapist, and I still don't have a ton of answers. But like, what is it? What does it look like to actually heal from being in those systems? And, and maybe not even be in them anymore. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bodily reaction, um, a cynicism that mm-hmm. um, even when you're done, you're not done. And I it's so hard to explain to people um, why certain things can cause like a deep reaction yeah. um, that doesn't make sense to anyone else. I, I recently was at a coffee shop and evangelical Christianity was abounding. There's all these people doing little Bible studies and then the music was playing. And, and I, I don't think they were harming anyone in this moment. And there was a time when I would have been those people, but I had such an interesting reaction that I actually couldn't stay present, Mm -hmm. uh, to the person I was in conversation with and had to sort of like exit out. And I thought it was so interesting that my 
body was like, you don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> you got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, other than it's just like, a, I can't do this. I mean, it, it's a trigger, and, and I mean that in the in the actual definition of the word. Like, it, it is one that people, it's, I mean, it's entered kind of mainstream language to call things triggers, but, but that is a trigger <laughs> of mm-hmm. your body is going into a response, an involuntary response, um, based off of situations that you have been in in the past. Um, yeah, we're excluded from, I think, for me, mm-hmm. the... The recognition that I was always trying to like understand, like or, or be a part of evangelical Christianity, knowing that I never really fit in, was always the hard part. And I think in some ways, um, that's a little bit of your story, you know, from even from Holy Runaways, it was always feeling adjacent to it because yep. it never, you couldn't put the whole thing on because the whole thing isn't allowed to fit you, right? right? Yeah, and and I, I think yeah, that can be. I mean, for for me, I tell the story in the book of walking into a church that I knew was fully affirming. Like I I'd moved to Seattle. I'd kind of done a lot of my, you know, quote unquote deconstruction. I found this church that like everything about it seemed good. And I look back on it and I'm like, it, it still seems good to me. Even now I'm like, that was a good church, <laughs> but I walked in and had a very similar experience as to what you had in the coffee shop, Sarah, like this sense of, I have to get out of here. Like my body went into a, a kind of flight mm. mode and I was shaking. I was looking around. Like I felt like I couldn't trust anybody. And like, while my brain knew one thing, this is technically a safe space. My body knew something different. And Mm -hmm. I I listened to it. Like, I I mean, I I stayed for the whole service, but I I never went back to that church. And, And I think like understanding these things. And this is some of why I wrote the book was like, how do we actually understand what's happening in our bodies <laughs> so we can start to heal and, and move into a faith or not having faith. Like I, I don't really care where you end up, <laughs> but moving to something that allows us to, to be in a state um, that's more settled and more flourishing. Yeah. I think mm. it's um, important too. And I hope folks who are helpful um, progressive pastors hear that it's not always about you. I, I think that was a, that was a hard hit for me, uh, when I was a pastor and something I took way too personal is like, I've created this great container for you. What do you mean? You don't want to get back in a container, (laughs) not understanding that it wasn't about, um, there was nothing I could have done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can make the safest church in the world and people who, still needs healing, it's not going to, it's not going to feel safe to those individual people. Yeah. I think that's, that's such an important thing for us to like, both as people that were in it, but also as people that have left it. Like I, I like how you described that. Cause I had a, not, not quite as visceral of an experience, but I was a church that we tried to go to for a number of times. And again, like very affirming, like every, like on paper, everything we would want, you know, check boxes um you swiped right like, i learned that swipe yeah, right just you know yeah swiped and they right. swiped right on us too like they were you know they were very we went we matched but it just I, I went there for a few weeks and it was just like this like i i remember feeling like i'm very glad this place exists like i i love that it's here um but it isn't for me i i can't yeah. do this anymore um and, and ultimately that led me mostly out of the faith. You know, that's kind of the journey that I ended up taking on. And I have a very similar view that I don't care where people land as long as, you know, they're landing in a place where they feel comfortable and settled and happy and, and they're, and they're able to connect, but it, it is our, our bodies and our brains don't always line up there. And, no. and, I, and I like how, uh, how you brought up too, like it, it's not always about, the pastor, like that particular pastor, I thought about emailing him and, and basically saying, it's not you. Like, <laughs> it wasn't you. It's me. <laughs> you know, it wasn't you. It, you know, it wasn't you. It had nothing to do with you. It just like what you've made here is great, but mm-hmm. I just, I, my, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wonder, Matthias, if you don't mind sharing a little bit, obviously you can't give what well, you are a professional therapist. That is your career and your field. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Do you find that a lot of people bring this church trauma in? I know that you're not particularly like your your um, 
I don't know what I was going to call it. What do you call it when you hang a shingle? I was going to say your shingle doesn't say Christian. I don't know what we call it anymore. You're not advertised. That's that's what I meant to say. People, sometimes my words. You're not advertised as a Christian counselor necessarily. No, right. <laughs> don't make fun of my shingle. Um, but I think, uh, do you find that it comes into practice a lot? Because I, 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 this is a reason I'm asking this. I've been um, asked to come alongside and start coaching within a, a coaching uh, team of folks and they don't have anyone who is, um, a, a, they don't want a Christian coach. So just please hear that's not what they want, but they were like, you know, you're accredited as a coach and we don't so often, I did not realize this with the executives that they're coaching, things of faith come up and they're like, mm-hmm. we don't know what to do with that. And I'm wondering, are you finding that as well within your, within your, um, therapy practice as someone who doesn't necessarily, you know, that's not the first thing you say. Yeah. I mean, so like there's a, an absolute yes in the sense that I, I do advertise that I work with religious trauma. So a lot of people do seek me out for this. Oh, great. But but I guess I didn't know that. (laughs) But even (laughs) for the folks who come in not wanting to work on religious trauma, it does surprise me how often kind of these questions of faith or the questions of the spiritual do come up. Like, like I think, and, and this is something that, is is intriguing to me in that like I still believe with everything that I left behind, <laughs> I still believe we are spiritual beings. Like like it doesn't necessarily mean Christianity is the answer. <laughs> um, what? But Just but the, <laughs> <laughs> but, but End the this recording now. <laughs> right. <laughs> need to leave. Um, <laughs> but but these these questions these these big themes um, of of kind of spirituality or connection. I mean, Brene Brown, who I can never get through an interview without not without talking about, defines spirituality as is that which connects us, and and whether that's something bigger or simply the interpersonal, um, it's deep within us, and and I think. Um, these are questions many, many, many different people are exploring. Yeah. I find it interesting this time that we're in, and you guys can take this as academic or um, where we're in this time where there seem, there is a giant shift of faith. We also have this thing that happened to all of us collectively for about three years and still continues to happen in that a pandemic happened and connection and how we define connection and what is connecting. It's all sort of coming together. And then we have this great resignation and that turns out it's even greater within the church. My, my dad, uh, the other day just read to me the statistics of the average church pastor, like just everyone's burning out and leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I used to think it was just sort of skewed that I thought that because I myself had got, you know, and so it's like when you buy a new car and then you see that car everywhere. Um, but the truth is, I think what we're seeing is, is this thing. What do you guys think is, is this stuff connected? Is connection part of it because I'm wondering if with these giant evangelical experiences were people being connected I don't know it just all seems to be coming at this one time and I don't know if you have any thoughts around around that you want to go Justin (laughs) sorry guys I just asked this really big question can you guys figure out Um, (laughs) well I I mean I yeah Um, (laughs) sorry guys my my go-to villain in all this and in everything is capitalism. Um, mm, I've met her in the sense, well, in the sense that I feel like that's a thread that runs through all of this. I think mm. the pandemic was awful um, on a number of levels, but I think we've seen like just how much the system does not care about us. Um systems that we thought were there to protect us systems that we thought we could trust even just like general goodwill, like businesses being like, Hey, this is a pandemic. Maybe we won't price gouge people, you know, like, Nope, actually, you know, so like from that kind of small thing to even larger things to religious institutions, like, um, and, and the spiritualization of those market pressures, you know, churches, you have a mark, you have a market pressure to stay open cause you need right. donations. Right. But like the spiritualization of that, like God right. wants us to meet like, and it's like, really, you think like I, and so I think that there was, 
all of this. And then there's a lot political happening. You know, this is, you know, our, a theme of our show, our show could be called, um, and then 2016 happened because like right. almost every interview we do has, you know, 2016 or 2020 was a turning point. Um, mm-hmm. and so I feel like we've kind of entered into this, like not necessarily, la- n- not truly laissez-faire capitalism, but just, I think the, the blinders came off of a lot of people, just how little we matter or how, how much, how we mm. feel like how little we matter. And then also the fact that we're isolated, it just, it creates this like churn an already unhealthy system that I think we're still figuring out where it's going to go. And, right. and, and then that's scary too. Like in the nineties growing up as a kid and even early two thousands, even nine eleven years, there was still a certain amount of like the illusion of stability somewhat. Um, mm. but now it's like, Ooh, this could really fall off the rails. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know what way we're going to go. So that's kind of where I see it as what's happening. Um, and that's just what I'm seeing. I'm sure, Matthias in your therapy practice, you're seeing a lot of this come up too. I know my therapist, I unload a lot of this stuff onto. Um, <laughs> it's just this, these feelings of like, right. there's so much uncertainty. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to say essentially the same thing, but with different words, like, cause I do think capitalism is a huge <laughs> part of it. Um, I, but, I but was I afraid you were going to name a name by the way. When you're like, I think there's one person to blame. I was like, oh no, here we go. Because <laughs> you like took a sip of tea and I was like, buckle up. <laughs> but her name was capitalism. So that's fine. <laughs> I think people, I mean, I mean, you talk about these turning points, 2016, 2020, like absolutely turning points, but but they're, they're points that they were exposing, right? I mean, they're exposing. Mm-hmm what is already happening, <laughs> mm. but, but just making it more apparent. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think many other things happened in those years too, but, but that's one way I, I think about it and look at it. And people have been and are so lonely. And, and when we talk about connection, like one place where people find connection is in their spiritual and religious communities. People yeah. turn to their pastors, right? And I don't know that, that at least in recent history, <laughs> in the U.S. at least, we have had as much of a failure of systems of support, again, as you're talking about, Justin, that where mm-hmm. previously people would maybe have had a community, <laughs> uh, other systems that are helping them survive, all of a sudden all those things are getting placed on pastors and caregivers and saying like, you are my sole support. <laughs> we mm-hmm. need you to, to, to help us. And, and like putting that all on one person or on one community, it, it's not sustainable. I mean, I, I think of like with me as a therapist, at least I can have boundaries, right? At least I can say we see each other, you know, once a week for an hour, <laughs> Uh, you can maybe send me an email, but like, it's not like what pastors have to deal with day in and day out. Like, I think there's so much in that, yeah, failure of, or maybe not even failure, but breakdown of community and communal sense of support that is now kind of being hoisted onto what people think of as community, pastors, religious leaders. Mm Mm-hmm. I um, am really excited to talk to both of you. We're going to take a break. I'm going to remember to take a break. Are you proud of me? We're going to take a break, but I want us to come back. I want us to come back and talk about this idea because you said something that I think um, I'm hearing more and more is that loneliness is really a thread throughout this. Even idea of running away, holy runaways, all this sort of stuff. Loneliness is a huge fear and a huge truth. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about um, loneliness when we come back. Doesn't that make everyone want to come back from the break? We're going to talk about mm-hmm. loneliness. <laughs> All right. We won't actually take a break, but um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember because we never remember to do it. And since we're going to make sure to get you out of here on time, I wanted to make sure we took a break. Yes, I love that. <laughs> um, First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that here at the speaking in church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church 
It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. All right. So we're coming back to talk about the very exciting and um, happy topic. And you'll have to excuse me smiling so much during this topic. Matthias and I are dear friends and we haven't seen each other in a while. So just seeing his face makes me so happy. Um, but uh, Matthias, when you talked about this, this overarching idea of loneliness as sort of the big thing and connection being the thing that's missing, what would you say for people who do feel like holy runaways? I... The words, and I know we circle this topic all the time and in our discord for people, they all often talk about like, I don't, the thing I miss is having that set community. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about where you think people are finding community and exiting out of loneliness or what loneliness really is? Because even today I was thinking about how I'm surrounded by people, but because of things like social media, I wonder like, are these the people I should be surrounded with or am I missing out on the real group of people I should be surrounded with, right? So you can talk a little bit about the epidemic of loneliness and then a little bit about where you're seeing helpful break through those things, if you don't mind. Yeah. Well, that that is the big question, right? And, and I don't know that there is a set answer into like, where people are finding this new community. Like I, I, that's the number one thing I hear too, is people who are leaving faith community saying like, I loved having a kind of built in group of people to, to you know, quote unquote, do life with. <laughs> uh, and finding that in other places is really difficult because it doesn't feel the same. Uh, and, and so I think I often talk with folks about like, where can we get, like a step in that direction. Like w- maybe we can't find a community that we can walk in and instantly feel connected to. Uh, but where can we at least take a step in that direction or two steps in that direction? Where's a place that might give 45% of what you're wanting. That's still 45% more than nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and how do we start to build then around that saying like, okay, I found 45% of this here with my pickleball league. Right. <laughs> and I'm missing, I'm missing, you know, these other elements, where can I find people who might be able to fill that? And, and we, it's, we have to kind of start picking and choosing and it takes so much work. <laughs> it's really, really, really difficult. And there are no guarantees that it's going to happen. Like I think churches, there is a sense of, you walk in unless you're in the category of someone that the church doesn't believe is worthy of community. Like mm. it's, you're going to get it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or at least it's more likely that you're going to get it. Um, that, that really doesn't exist in other places. Um, and, and so I think when we talk about loneliness, <laughs> that can also be, it can feel like an indictment, right? Like it can feel like this sense of, Oh, I haven't found community. There must be something wrong with me. Um, there must be something wrong with me. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. It's just that when we have been in religious communities, we don't have kind of a a realistic sense of what it takes to, to find that somewhere else because that is such a unique context. I don't know if I'm fully getting at what you asked me, Sarah. Um. No, you absolutely are. You're Mm -hmm. reminding me about expectations too. Um, I think from, for me anyway, growing up in the era I did from TV shows, I thought I was going to get to live across the hall from all my best friends into our, like into our forties until we're all having kids together and we're all living in this building. And then the church community felt that way. And so the expectations were high and yet I just want to say a lot of people are part of these, like I was part of these communities and never felt part of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, I think I can say for some of my queer friends, that was the same situation for me. It was different. It was more like, I don't, I don't know that I buy into all of this and this doesn't feel like what I think, but potentially the story of Jesus really is. And so here I am like, Oh, you guys think this is, we should spend more money on lights when like, it feels like there's a lot of hungry people, like all this sort of stuff that made me feel very outside of, um, 
And I, I think that we think that everybody else is feeling more surrounded than they are. Mm-hmm. Would you, would you guys mm-hmm. agree with that? Like people, I think we have this notion that everyone has a nuclear family. Everyone has like Christmas, you know, commercials and Hallmark movies and all these things make us feel like somehow we've missed out on this ability to be connected when the truth is I hear it over and over and over again. So if it's not true for a lot of people, a lot of people, and there's a difference when you can show up as your full self. Cause I would say in a weird way, <laughs> church uh, transitioned to my running group for me, where it's become my ecclesia, my gathering of people. And like today we all just hung out for hours while we we're all doing our work and like kind of watching football, but we were really just being in each other's presence. And even then you can feel lonely because we sort of, lost connection. I don't know if that makes sense. So yes, you did answer my question, but it's a big question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's such an important point. Like how often we can project what we want onto other people and say, well, they have it. They Mm -hmm. have what I want. Those people have what I want. Uh, When reality is they they probably don't, (laughs) but, but can we also use that, that what we're projecting into them as a guide um, mm. as a sense of like, I think it's a, well, the, the, there's this quote, I think it's, uh, I can't remember who said it. I always, try, I always try to remember these things. I heard it on Elizabeth Gilbert's podcast, but she didn't say it, <laughs> but the, the, the guest said jealousy can be one of our greatest teachers because it shows us what we're longing for. Mm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I love that framing of kind of jealousy or envy because it, it can be such a, a guide to they ha- they seem to have something that I want. Oh, I want that. How can I start to shift things um, or or seek that out? Whew. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really helpful because particularly for those folks that were pastors, like you're kind of trained to put your desires to the side, mm-hmm. at least the mm-hmm. conscious ones. They're still there. They're just underneath. Yep. <laughs> and so, like, I think using using your, for lack of a better term, by, by, vices, sorry, like the, those kind of things you're not supposed to have, which would be jealousy, envy, you know, like, or even that, like, I, I've noticed there is a certain kind of person that just really bothers me. They're just, well, not just one certain kind of person. There's a lot of people that bother me, let's be honest. But like, but finding like, oh, I think what bothers me actually isn't them. It has no. something to do with how they make me feel or maybe they have something that I want. And so like, and that's, that's how I've had to find my way back to what I want yeah. is by kind of engaging these like, well, this is, this is, this is kind of embarrassing to admit to myself, but, um, that's the way in because and not just pastors, even just Christians in general, a lot of times it's like, you know, not my needs, you know, no, 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 it's not about me. And, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's cute for a while. But like when that's the thing you're told from the time you're two, mm-hmm. um, it, it really causes a lot of damage. Um, right. And so I'm, I, I like, are there other ways that this is just, I'm not asking for the audience. I'm asking for me. Are there other ways someone can find out like, what is it that I want? What is it that it's going to make me feel safe or connected with folks um, versus just like running around, just trying to make something stick because I'm feeling lonely about a thing. Yeah. Well, I, I talk about this a lot in the book. I really think learning and paying attention to our own desire is the way forward. Um, and desire is such a scary word for, for so many people, um, especially coming out of uh, religious spaces, Christian contexts, uh, that that can feel terrifying. <laughs> um, but th- th- there's a theologian, Sir Coakley, who talks about you know desire being, it's an ontological category for her. <laughs> it, you know, mm-hmm. something that make that we are made according to her in the image of God because of our desire, right? It, it, God desires, therefore we desire. And, and she argues that any desire, no matter how dimly 
points us back to God's desire. All desire, she says, even if it is something that is, you know, that we might consider to be horrific, there is an inkling of it that points back to God. Um, oh, fascinating. And it, yeah, her work is is so interesting how she works with all that. Of course, there's a lot of complexity there. Um, all of that to say. <laughs> how do we start to pay attention? Because it, it really is an act of paying attention. How do we start to pay attention to, oh, maybe even it may even be sensation-based at the beginning. This sensation feels good. This sensation feels bad. What if we choose to lean towards what feels good instead of what feels bad? And and again, I, I can hear all the old Christian like warning bells going off in my head even as I say that. <laughs> right. You're like, what if I start murdering people? And it's like, <laughs> right. no, like and you're still not trying to murder people if you're if you're stepping. You, you're probably not gonna all of a sudden become a murderer because you're stepping <laughs> right. towards what feels good. exactly right like we don't have to it's it's not it doesn't have to become a free-for-all we still get to be people with our values and we still get to you know own all of those things um like and what if we turn towards desire what if we turn towards delight what makes yeah that was something that stuck out to me in your book was desire i think because i um you know the he is greater than me thing here Mm um i one day was stuck behind a car and I, it took me a long time to not think it was a surf company called like Hikma or something. I couldn't try to figure out what those stickers meant. Uh, but I figured it out. He's greater than I. Um, so it's, he is greater than I is the thing. I don't know if you have those out where you guys are up where you are and out where you are. Uh, but I, I realized, I was like, this is fascinating. I was so comfortable with that notion Um and not that I don't think the divine is bigger than me, but I was so comfortable with that notion because it meant that I never had to figure out the I piece. Um, hmm. And my yeah. own desires uh, could be put on the back burner because as someone who, it took me a long time to figure, I'm, I'm someone who loves so many things um, that it's really hard sometimes for me to figure out, is it that my wish? Is that what has been put on me? And um, we sort of, put those things to the side, kind of like, oh, I'll figure that out later. Uh, I'll figure that out about myself later. I'll figure that out about myself later. And I think for me, it, it was in your thinking through this idea of like desire and, oh, what what do I actually want is actually a really hard question. I think it's harder than we want to admit. I think because yeah. uh, sometimes when we're like, oh, when we talk about don't like just go after what you want, Oftentimes what people who are supposedly doing that are doing, they're actually not going after their own desires. So I think about people who are running after money where I live is a big thing, right? Like so many people are pursuing that thing and um, pursuing the partner that looks great in that thing, but that's actually not your desire. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I feel like I'm saying it in a confusing way, but what I mean by that is like oftentimes the things we've been warned about if we chase after our own desires are actually not even our own desires. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think it requires us to start to get comfortable with making mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. With pursuing something and being like, oh, that isn't actually what I wanted. <laughs> Let me try again. Uh, or, Oof. oh, I thought that was going to be great. It wasn't. Uh, and and I think like we can live. There's something that can feel so paralyzing about, or, or uh, I'm trying to get away from ableist language. <laughs> something that can make us freeze up yeah. ab- about the the choices, um, like the sense of well, what if I don't know what I want? What if I make the wrong choice? So I'm just not going to make any choices at all. Uh, and instead, like how how do we trust that even if we do make a choice that doesn't feel good or is a quote unquote wrong choice that we're going to treat ourselves. Okay. (laughs) We can pivot, we can make different choices and and hopefully we start to have a community around us who is also supportive of that, who can carry us through uh, when those things happen because they absolutely will. Well, it's this idea of the purpose driven life. And I know I keep going after it, but it's that's for me that that's freezing because it's a purpose. And if I don't find that thing, then I'm in the wrong purpose. And then, uh, whereas what you're talking about feels like 
no, I, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes. I think about our community. A lot of people, the first job they have after ministry may not be a great fit. And that feels really weird. And it feels like I messed up. I never should have left ministry because this thing isn't the thing. And I thought something else would be the thing. And it's like, no, you have to be okay with there being maybe no thing. Like it's just, mm-hmm. there's multiples of we're just going to try the next right step. I think Glennon Doyle actually talks about the next right step. And I think that's where this idea yeah. of being okay with our own failure and the failure of some folks around us is important too. Yeah. And it's, it becomes this very strange, um, almost like this compounding effect because particularly for folks that are leaving ministry, it's like, there's already this sense of like, I've quote wasted or I've spent so much time already on this thing that didn't work out or maybe it wasn't what I wanted. or was what my dad wanted or God wanted or whatever. And, and also like, I'm, there's a spiritual crisis on top of that, which is like, this could be it, you know, mm-hmm. like, and so it becomes, yeah, it is, it is, it's, it's either, I, I watch people get either get paralyzed or they go nuts. Mm-hmm. Like just, I will try, I'm going to try everything. You know, like no restraint, no nothing, because uh, because who knows what's next. Um, and mm. sometimes I actually think those folks, if they don't make too big a mistake, end up getting to where they need to be quicker. Um, mm. I don't recommend that, <laughs> but it is, <laughs> but but it is an interesting kind of paradox of like, oh wow, their life really fell apart for two years, but then wow, they they. Yeah, they, they seem to skip some steps. Yeah. yeah but yeah. Um, and then there's those there's folks that are like, oh, let's take a more measured poach or get paralyzed. Then it's like six, 10, 20 years later. And they're like, I still don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know that I have a question in there other than just it's an interesting <laughs> process that I'm I'm seeing in people. And, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing in myself, too, because in some areas I'm like, throw everything to the wind. I'm going to do whatever. And then other times I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll just sit tight. Um, and it's yeah. just this very, it's a weird thing because the church, it's, the church is good at a few things. Um, some of them good, some of them bad, but I think one of them that could go either way is telling people what to do and how to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you don't have that suddenly, it's like, uh, what do I even do from here? Um, and I, I would imagine, um, <laughs> as a therapist, you're probably, if you, if you are seeing these folks, you're probably seeing, having to help a lot of people figure out in their forties, like, how do you know what you want? <laughs> how yeah, do you figure right. that out? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and, um, I, I know that's something I'm, I'm having to work through and my, my, both my co-hosts, I think <laughs> of my podcasts are working through that too. Like, how do we no, know what I we have, want? Um, <laughs> I every day wonder, what do I want? What? <laughs> what is? How did, I woke up? How, how did I? How did I get here? <laughs> well, it's trying all these different things too. I, I'm reminded. I was having a conversation actually with a group of people today, and um, two of us are single, and one of um, she's like, she's tried all these different dating apps. And we were laughing because this girl that we know went on a hundred dates. So she's a the girl I was chatting with is a, a researcher, and so she's was talking about. Um, how a lot of the professors she works with um, also have trouble dating. I was like, that's funny. My friend who was a professor decided to treat her dating life like research. And so we were kind of talking about this kind of idea. Like this girl said, I'm going to go on a hundred dates. Doesn't matter. You know, and I'm no matter if I get tired of this whole dating thing, it doesn't matter because I said I would do a hundred experiments. So I have to do a hundred experiments because she needed to use it in this way. She ended up meeting her spouse. We were all laughing about it. But one of the guys that was there was like, that's interesting. I just read a business report about this hiring theory that if you as a company um, know that for their first 34 applicants out of a hundred, you're not going to accept them. You're just going to rank them by things that you liked about them and whatever guy like guy or girl or human is your top ranked person then every person you date after that you're ranking against them and it was like this really interesting uh theory but the whole point was to not get so stuck on is this the thing in front of me is that the for sure thing it's like gives you kind of these more options and it's willing to try different things and you can always go back to the things from before but i'd never thought of dating or even my life as a research project, but it is mm-hmm. sort of true, right? Like they're, how do I know what I like or don't like unless I've, you know, 
given myself a, a chance at it. And obviously, again, I'm hearing – it's so funny, Matthias. I'm hearing that voice in my head being like, how do you know you don't like murdering people until – that's all, why was that always the example? But You don't know if you like it until you've tried it. <laughs> Sarah, don't listen to that voice. <laughs> that voice doesn't exist for me. I'm pretty sure I don't want to do that. I know oh, my podcast listening trends indicates that I'm doing some other sort of research, but I am not researching how to murder and hide you guys. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry, Matthias. Oh, gosh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when you think about kids, right? Like, cause so many of us, I, I think there's some developmental things in here, especially again, I think if we were raised in religious context where we were told you aren't allowed to have desire, <laughs> Um, right. then we have to go through stages of development. Like you, you watch a kid uh, who's trying to figure out the world. Like many kids are, are trying all kinds of stuff, right? They're, they're putting dirt in their mouths just to see what it's like. Right. And, and that is experiential learning. And, and I think we would, I would actually behoove us, I think to be more childlike in that way of just, mm trying things without this kind of the our adult brains online but saying like well what could happen like what does happen does this feel good does this feel bad does this taste good does this not? like all of those things um i you know i think that can even become a spiritual practice if you want to make it one um of of holding those maybe more adult parts of ourselves off and letting our, our kind of curious childlike selves come out a little bit more, come out to play. I love that. And that's being a holy runaway because there's, there's sacredness in the, then the experience of running away mm-hmm. because then it becomes almost a spiritual practice in itself to like yes. leave the thing that was, I use the container, leave the container to figure out if the container's right. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think so many more people are experiencing that. Um, and it's scary. It's a it's scary for people who want to maintain that. It's scary for people who have stepped outside. And I think this idea of being childlike and um, being willing to try new things and adapt and learn. And it's even like hanging out with the thing that you've been told were quite dangerous. My friend was um, just saying uh, that he's gone through a very terrible divorce, very terrible divorce. And the people that his church would have told him to stay away from have been the people that have come alongside to care for and love and give like vocational opportunities to. And, and there are people like queer community. He was like, I didn't know. Cause I was always told like, and now these are like my best and like women. He's like, I could be friends with women. And I was like, yes, you can be friends with women mm-hmm. and like all these things that might sound crazy. And then some of you are going, it doesn't sound crazy. Cause I was grew up with the same notion And so I think there is this lovely invitation. And I also like the idea of it won't last forever. You're not going to be untethered forever. I'm saying that to myself, but I think, you know, like you're not going to be untethered forever because it can feel a bit that way. We're in a bit of a free fall, but all of humanity feels a little bit like in a free fall. Would you guys agree on that one? (laughs) At least in my experience. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Matthias, I am so glad that you're willing to come and share a little bit about, um, yeah, about your Holy Runaway. Is there anything else you'd like to offer folks, particularly from within the understanding of folks who have left, not just being a participant in church, but maybe leading it? If there's um, any thoughts that you want to make sure that you get in there, I want to make sure we make space for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just think the more that we can cultivate kindness for our experiences, compassion for our experiences within ourselves. I think it's so easy to fall into cynicism. And and of course we fall into cynicism, right? Um, but, but I do think compassion, kindness, it sounds so fluffy, but I think it's the antidote. <laughs> and, and I think there's a lot of strength in th- that discovery of um, how soft life can be. And I mean that in, in a really good way. Um, that that can bring us towards what we're looking for. Yeah. yeah and beyond your two books, and I, sh- I just used your word, so I'm sorry. Beyond your two books, Beyond Shane and Holy Runaways, um, what would you, 
is there anything else you'd love for people to connect with you? Or if you're just like, those are the things you could check out. <laughs> is there anything else? Th- you'd those like are the share? ones right now. Yeah. I'm not really doing awesome. anything else. <laughs> right now, Except so. for being a full-time yeah. <laughs> psychotherapist. Other than that. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for, thank you for being in the world because truly it makes a mm-hmm. huge difference. I think there's so many people that have been, um, yeah, especially this book, like rediscovering faith after being burned. Uh, I think there's a lot of folks who are saying, now what? And I think you you do a great job for the community of people who are kind of done with just doing the running away and being angry, the sort of now what moment. So guys, go grab the book. It's beautiful design too. I'll just say that. I have the mm-hmm. postcard like on my fridge because it's so pretty. Um, so you. just get it to put it on your bookshelf. If, you can't, if you're not a reader, if you want to listen to the audio, go ahead, but just buy the book because it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us, friends, for another episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Friends, thanks again for sticking around to the end for the quote, or sometimes it's a song lyric, sometimes it's a poem. Uh, Today it's a quote, actually, from one of my favorite theologians, one of my favorite writers, and that is Richard Rohr. As I thought about the conversation with Matthias this morning, I was sort of reflecting on this idea of what it means to kind of become a holy one run away and kind of understand our own desires and and how that can kind of breed this um, weight that we feel to sort of get it right and figure it out. And I really love the gentleness with which um, Matthias kind of invited us to, to let go of all of that. And so it reminded me of the words of Father Richard Rohr. So I'd like to read those to you. We do not have to figure it all out, straighten it all out, or even do it perfectly by ourselves. We do not have to be God. It's an enormous weight off of our backs. All we have to do is participate. After this epiphany, things like praise, gratitude, and compassion come naturally like breath. True spirituality is not taught. It is caught once our sails have been unfurled to the spirit. Henceforth, our very motivation and momentum for the journey towards holiness and wholeness is immense gratitude for already having had it. Ooh. I am so grateful for the words of Father Roar, and I'm also grateful for the words of Matthias, a reminder that we have to sort of just kind of go back towards inward, towards ourselves, and sort of understand what our desires are. Friends, I am grateful that you're on this journey with me. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.